Welcome to Directions in Rashi, a podcast that will help you understand individual comments from Rashi throughout the Chumash, and that will also introduce you to some of the general principles which I feel uh, directed Rashi in his creation of his commentary, and that will help us to understand his commentary better all around. Welcome. Parshas told us, Yaakov asks his brother Esav to sell to him the rights of the firstborn. I would like to uh, read through and investigate these, these, uh, this Pasuk, the Rashi, and some of the other uh, basic commentaries and super commentaries. And I think that we can find here, as we usually can, uh, many interesting and important points. We will skip the events that lead up to this offer by Yaakov and simply begin here. By Yaimer Yaakov, and Yaakov said, Michra chayim li. Sell chayim, like today, which is a not an, not an easy uh, phrase to understand, and we will talk about this quite a bit in Yitzhak Hashem. Michra chayim, sell like today, your firstborn status or firstborn privileges to me. Let's see Rashi. Rashi begins with this difficult phrase, chayom, sell it like today. Rashi says, kiyom dilehen, like this day, shehu barur, which is clear and bright. Kach mechorli so, too, I want you to sell this to me, a mechira brura, a clear, indisputable sale. So, it would seem, according to Rashi, by the way, the first two words, kiyayim dilahain, is a quotation from Unculus, from the Aramaic translation of the Torah. It would seem from Rashi that, that the, the phrase chayim is a way of saying, sell it to me clearly. Sell it to me in a sale that's as clear as day we might say in English, sell to me a clear as day kind of sale of your Bechoyra. Now, the word Bechoyra, firstborn status, uh, firstborn status involves, uh, contains a number of different factors. Um, first of all, the, the firstborn of a family, according to the law of the Torah anyway, according to the law of the Torah, a firstborn son inherits an extra portion of his father's inheritance. If let's say there are three sons and they are going to inherit the father, so the Bechor would get an extra portion, meaning you, doesn't mean he gets half, but it means that he gets, they divide the, the land into, instead of three portions, they divide it into four portions and the firstborn gets two portions where the, the others each get one apiece. Not only by land, by all property in general. That's one aspect of Bechoyra. Another aspect of Bechoyra, at least in the case of Yaakov and Esau, uh, would seem to be, and some of the talk in these terms, the Yerusha, the inheritance of Eretz Yisrael. The question was, who was going to inherit the promised land? The land was promised to Abraham, to Abraham, and the question is, will it now uh, go to Yaakov or to Esau? It would seem that, if you follow this line of reasoning, it would seem that it was supposed to go 
to Esau because he was the firstborn. That's not obvious uh, in my mind. Maybe it would go to both of them equally. Or maybe Esau would get a double portion and Yaakov would get one portion. But it, it certainly seems that some commentators understood that the issue here is who is going to take the entirety of Eretz Yisrael, which is somehow included in the rights of the Bechor, and who is not going to get any, Eretz, any part of Eretz Yisrael at all. That is another aspect of Bechorah. A third aspect does not involve Yerusha. It's not about inheriting something, but it's that the custom in ancient times up until the giving of the Torah to the, to the Jewish people is that within a family, when a family wanted to bring a korban to Hashem or even Lahavdil, when people brought korbanas to, to false, false deities, but the the um, the the schus, the privilege of bringing a korban was left was given to the bechor was given to the firstborn. I mean, any person could donate a korban, but the privilege of actually slaughtering the korban and processing the korban, offering it to God, that was left to that was given to the bechor of each family. Now that is not a matter of yerusha. That is something that that was uh, applicable and that was. Uh, that was uh, that existed even while the father was still alive, but when the family brought a korban, it was the firstborn who had that privilege. Rashi, as we'll see in a moment, chooses to limit himself, apparently, to the third possibility. Let's see Rashi. Yaakov said to Esav, "Sell me your bechayra." He says, since the service to Hashem." was done through the Bechorais. The Bechor is the one who would bring a korban to Hashem for the, on behalf of the family. So Amar Yaakov, Yaakov said, in Russia, this Russia, this Asaf, who is an evil person, as we have seen from some previous psukim, this Russia is not fit that he should bring korbanos to HaKadosh Baruch And therefore, I'm going to do what I can to wrest it away from him. And so I'm going to, I'm going to ask him to please sell me his, his Bechayra. Please sell me his, his privilege as the firstborn. Okay, I'd like to discuss three questions on this Rashi. Uh, some of these questions are uh, rise to what I call the level of Akasha, meaning they are, they are Difficulties. They are they are questions that if we can't answer them, we are remain we would remain with a problem in the pasuk. Others are simply I wouldn't call them kashis. I would call them requests for information. Question number one is how did Rashi know that what that uh, that Yaakov was interested interested primarily not in the Yerusha of the Bechor, not in those aspects of Bechorah? How did Rashi know that? Yaakov was interested exclusively, or at least mostly, in the Avodah Shebebechoros. He was interested mostly in removing Esav from the position as a family Koyin and uh, presumably taking over that position himself. That's one question. A second question is a question that is uh, 
also raised by some of the major super commentators, uh, uh, super commentators is that it would seem from Rashi that uh, somehow you can purchase the Bechorah. Uh, this is very difficult to understand. How is it possible to sell this status? You can sell or you can purchase someone's uh, monetary privileges, someone's monetary, his ownership or his even his future ownership of certain things. There's a way to, to buy them. But how do you purchase Bechorah? As the Mepharshim uh, say, if someone is a Kayan, can you buy the Kahuna from him? Can you pay him enough money? And then you'll become Kayan him yourself? There are a number of nice little jokes about that, but in seriousness, it's not possible. So how is it that Yaakov could become the Bechor by paying money or by paying the, uh, the Zid Adashim, by paying this, uh, this bowl of lentil soup? Uh, how could this lentil stew how could he thereby become the Bechor? And a third question concerns the first Rashi. Rashi's explanation that Chayoim means, sell it to me like this day, which is clear, so please sell me a clear Mechira. Now, Ranban disagrees with this, this interpretation of Rashi. And the Ranban, based on his analysis of the Targum, Rashi had his analysis of the Targum, but Ranban, based on his analysis of the Targum, says, we'll read just a few words. He says that the, the word uh, the word in the words in Unculus, Dil, Dil Hain, is like the word Eze. Ramban in one place says it should be Dil He or Dil Hey, Dil Hain, but he says it means Eze, which he says like this, Omar, Yaakov said, sell me the firstborn privileges or firstborn status, for whichever day it will fall. Meaning, you, the whole idea of inheriting as a Bechor is only relevant on the day that the father dies. Before that, it's not relevant. So Yaakov was saying to Esav, effective upon the day. I want you to sell me the, the Bechorah to be effective upon the day, whichever day it might be that our father passes away. Ramban connects this to a, a fairly well-known word that you find many times in the Gemara. Hey, hey Yud means which. Sometimes the Gemara says, hey Rabbi Yehuda, hey Rabbi, hey, Rabbi Meir. Sometimes we have a statement from uh, Rabbi Meir. We want to know which Rebbe Mayor. There might be more than one Rebbe Mayor. Or which statement of Rebbe Mayor are you referring to? There could be more than one statement of Rebbe Mayor. So you see that the word hey in Aramaic means which. So the Ramban says that's the same word here being used by Onkelos. And uh, so Michra Chayoy means sell it to me for whichever day, effective upon whichever day it becomes relevant. So we have here a disagreement between Rashi and Ramban regarding the meaning of this word chayoim. And this question is merely a request for information, a request for clarification. Does this machlaikas, um, does this disagreement between Rashi and Ramban have any further implications beyond the simple translation of the word? Is there 
is there something more over here than merely a disagreement about exactly how to translate this word? Let's begin looking at these questions one by one, perhaps not in exact order. I'm not very good at that, but let's begin looking at them one by one. The first question is, how did Rashi know that when Yaakov offered to buy the Bechira, that he was interested primarily or perhaps even exclusively in the Avaida, in the privilege of doing the service to Hashem that comes with being Bechor, and not, at least not primarily, in the monetary fringe benefits. This question is raised by many of the um, super commentators, many of the Rashi commentators. And I believe I should be looking at this page. Yes. Uh, for some reason, when I put things in color and I come back a few minutes, just really just a few minutes later, color has disappeared. I don't know why. But anyway, the Mizrahi raises this question. And he answers very succinctly. I'll read just a few words. If this was not so, if Yaakov was asking about the monetary benefits of being a Bechor, how would it be permitted for Yaakov to do this? In other words, um, I mean, the Bechor belongs to Esau. Who is Yaakov to come along and buy it? And particularly, as we uh, would see if we had seen some of the Sukkim leading up to this statement, Esau came home after a long day of uh, hunting and he was tired and he was very, very hungry. And he said, give me some of that Adom HaAdom Hazeh, give me some of that red food. And Yaakov uh, took advantage of him to a certain extent. Yaakov said, uh, hey, you really want that food? Sell me the Bechaira. I'll sell it to you if you give me the Bechaira. And that's a little underhanded and that's a little unfair. So if what Yaakov wanted to gain by this was monetary advantage, then that would be, that would not be permitted. That would be completely unethical. However, because what Yaakov wanted is, he wanted the privilege of doing the Aveda of the Bechor, and he did not want Ace of the Russia to have that privilege, that, the, the, the Mizrahi says, that's, that's ethical to use this bit of pressure, not to force Esav into the sale, he certainly didn't have to, but to use this kind of pressure, to pressure him into the sale, that, that was, that's fine. That's nothing wrong with that. That's the Mizrahi's answer. There are um, some other answers. One I'd like to mention is from the uh, as yet unpublished Sefer known as Mare Rachel. Uh, the Mare Rochel explains that Rashi's uh, proof text is the word sell to me your Bechayra. Now, if all he meant was the monetary aspects, he could have just said sell to me the Bechayra. But because he says your Bechayra, so that indicates like what Rashi said. Well, this has to do with Esav specifically. It has to do with Esav's personality, his very unadmirable personality, his evil personality. 
your I don't want you to have the Bukhara. It's not so much, it's not that I want the money. Money. It's not that I want the money. I don't want you to have the Bukhara. Okay. We have some, I believe, sufficient answers to the first question. And I believe that this answer, let's talk about the Mizrahi's answer. Or in general, the, the fact that Rashi, based on good svoro or on good scriptural proof, says that Yaakov was interested in the privilege of doing the Avaidah, uh, based on this, we, this can help us understand the difference between Rashi and Ranban in their uh, different comments, their different translations of the phrase Chayyim. Again, Rashi says it means like today, meaning like this nice, bright, sunny day. Sell to me the Bechira, a Mechira Brura. Sell to me the Bechira with a clear sale. Ranban says it means sell to me the Bechira to be effective on whichever day it becomes relevant, meaning on whichever day our father dies. Now, we see from here, I think, a, more than just a difference in the translation of this phrase, we see a, fun, a fundamental difference between the approaches of Rashi and Ranban to this Pasuk. According to Rashi, as we've just explained, the Pasuk is talking about that's what Yaakov wanted. He wanted that privilege to be the one, to be the family Koyin. Now, to be the family Koyin has nothing to do with the father dying. The Bechor is the family Koyin, even when the father is alive. So Rashi could not say like the Ramban's explanation. He could not and would not. That would, that would, uh, that, that would contradict his whole approach to this Pasuk. And therefore Rashi said, what does it mean, Chayyim? It means sell it to me with a clear and indisputable form of sale. We see that Yaakov not only asked Esav to sell it, but he asked him also to swear to it. So it's a very strong kind of sale. Ranban, on the other hand, apparently understood that what Yaakov was interested here in here was the Yerusha, the inheritance. If we go back to Ranban, I mean, it's really obvious, even from what we've said so far. He says, Since the sale of the Bechira is for after the father's death. So therefore, Yaakov said, Sell me the Bechira for whichever day, to be effective upon whichever day it falls, meaning on whichever day the father happens to die. So we see that Ranban is talking about primarily the Yerusha, the inheritance, the either the monetary inheritance, which is a little hard to understand why Yaakov was so interested in that, or perhaps, as some of Farshim say, he was interested in the inheritance of Eretz Yisrael, which we can understand much better why Yaakov really wanted to get that rather than, than Esav. We also can note that the Ranban does not ask here, or I don't think anywhere else in his commentary, he does not ask the Mizrahi's question, how could Yaakov 
the sell the Bechira. How could the, could he, so to speak, become a Kayan? You can't become a Kayan just by, by paying for it. But Ban doesn't raise that question. And I think that's an indication, although not a proof, but I think it's an indication that according to him, that's not what Yaakov was trying to do. He wasn't trying to become Kayan. He was trying to purchase uh, certain monetary privileges or certainly uh, certain property privileges. And now we come to the third question. The third question is what we just mentioned, the Mizrahi and many other of the Rashi commentators ask this question, is how can you sell Bechayra? How do you sell the status of being a firstborn? That's not something that can be sold. The Mizrahi talks quite a bit about this, this question. It's a rather lengthy piece. We're not going to go through the whole thing. He goes into various uh, halachic considerations. Very interesting. He finally, at the end, says as follows. Let me highlight this part here. He says, Shema Yesh Lemar, perhaps we can say, the Mechira Zayla Hoysa Elo the Vatel Esav Meaveda, Shahoya Sovela Shamesh, Vavedas Arkabonais, Kiminig Habachor. Maybe what Yaakov meant here was only to take, to, to be Mevatel, to cause Esav to cease from doing the service that he would have done, that he was expecting to do, as the Bechor which was the Minig HaBechor, that was the custom of the Bechor, that the Bechor served as the family Koyen. And the Mizrahi continues, With this sale that Yaakov did, and with the Shvua, with the oath that Esav took, that he will not be uh, ma'arer upon this, he will not uh, later come back and complain about this, Nispatel meha avaida, so that he was thereby stopped from doing the avaida. He agreed and he swore and he took some reward for his agreement to stop doing the avaida or never to start. And therefore, the, the law returned to where it should have been. That it was not proper for a Russia like him to bring korbanais on high, to bring them to Hashem. In other words, Mizrahi is saying that this was not really a sale. It's called, it, it is called Mechira in the Pasuk. It's, it's like a sale, but that's, it's not really a normal sale. A normal sale, I give you the money, I get the object. You give me the object and now it's mine. Over here, there really is no physical object. That's number one. Number two, I'm giving you the money and I'm asking you to swear to not fulfill a certain role that you had thought that you would fulfill. And since you received money from it, and since you swore, so in fact, you're, you're not going to do it, and you're, you're not going to wake up later and complain about it. You've been, you say in Yiddish, you've been good kishmirt, you've been rewarded well, and you swore, and that's the end of it. You're not going to do it anymore comes out that it would seem from the Mizrahi that 
that that that Yaakov did not really become the Bechor. At least it would seem that way. I mean, maybe he automatically rose to the position, but the Mizrahi is not explaining that in any case. It would seem that he did not become the Bechor. He merely prevented Esav from being the Bechor. Who would now bring the Korbanus for the family? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Yitzhak, for as long as he lives, will bring Korbanus for the family. Maybe as father, his, his right would, uh, he would have the right to do it if he has no Bechor. Gur'arye raises a question on this. The Gur'arye says that he found in Arashi later on where Yitzchak refers to Yaakov as the Bechor. And I don't mean by mistake when he was tricked later on. I mean that he refers to him in truth as the Bechor. We go here to Pasek. Perik, Perik of Zion, Pasik Lamed Gimel. So after uh, Yaakov threw a certain amount of certain type and a certain uh, level of subterfuge, he obtained the brachos from his father Yitzchok. And then Esav came and then Yitzchok realized that uh, he had not blessed the person that he in intended to. So it says, Vayechrat Yitzchok Ad uh, Yitzchak uh, trembled a very great trembling or a very great wonderment, as Rashi says. And he said, who, who therefore was this person who hunted some game? And he brought it to me. And I ate from all of it. Before you, Esav, came. And I blessed him. If you, Asaph, if you're telling me that you're Asaph, then who was this other fellow who brought in the meat before you? But whoever he is, he's going to remain blessed. Now on this, So if we look in Rashi, the Rashi that is that is uh, quoted over here, in this edition of Rashi, um, simply says, "Gam baruchi yesh You shouldn't say, "Ilule sharima Yaakov lahaviv." If Yaakov had not uh, tricked his father, loynatalas abrachas, he would not have taken the blessings. Lefichach, therefore. Therefore, Yaakov agreed, and he blessed him from his own mind. He now was blessing him, even though uh, there was some subterfuge involved. But really, he has now come to the realization that really Yaakov should have these brachas. Now, um, there's something missing here. I set things up just before I begin to speak, and they disappear. Um, I don't know how that is. Pardon me a moment. Things simply disappear. 
but in, in there are there is one um maybe it's here no it simply disappeared it vanished <laughs> i don't know how that is there are there is one uh Yad, there is one uh manuscript edition of rashi the ksav Yad leiden Well, before we get to the Ksav Yad Leiden, in many of the printed editions of Rashi, there is an addition to this statement of Rashi, a rather long quote from the Midrash Tanhuma, which ends off with Yaakov, with, with Yitzchak saying, Berachti lebechor, I bless the firstborn, gam baruch yiyeh, he will remain blessed. In other words, he's referring to Yaakov as the Bechor. Now the Goraya says that this is Akashya, this is a difficulty with this is a difficulty with with, with, with the uh, Mizrahi's approach. I, I'm very perturbed how things disappear. <laughs> just, just vanish. I set them up and they simply vanish. And then I'm stuck trying to remember exactly what was there. Okay. But the Guraria says that um, that this 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 um, this addition to the Rashi, which is in most printed editions, is uh, is an indication that Yaakov really did become the Bechor. So that uh, seems to contradict the Mizrahi, who says that Yaakov merely managed to to convince and to pay off Esav that Esav should remove himself from the Bechorah, but not that Yaakov should actually become the Bechor. Now, in defense of the Mizrahi, parenthetically, we can say that this addition to the Rashi, which is in most printed editions, can only be found in one of the known Kisveyad, one of the known and respected manuscripts of Rashi, known as Ksavyad Leiden. Now, it is known that the Mizrahi, most of his life was lived before the invention of the printing press in Europe. The uh, Gutenberg was the person who invent, basically invented and popularized the printing press. And he, his discovery was made in the year 1450 the Mizrahi died in the year 1475. He was also living in Turkey. It probably took some time before there were printing presses in Turkey. But in any case, um, the Mizrahi, for the most part, and this, this, there are other sources to, to support this, the Mizrahi, for the most part, only used manuscripts. That, that's how he learned. He learned from, from handwritten manuscripts. And therefore, it's very likely that this addition to the Rashi, in which Ace of which Yitzhak refers to Yaakov as the Bechor, it's very likely that the Mizrahi never saw it. It was not in his Rashi. The Gor Arye, the Maralmi Prague, lived a little bit later. The Maralmi Prague was born in 1520, which was uh, 45 years after the printing press was, was invented. And he lived all the way till 1609. So he studied primarily from printed books. And this also, there is, uh, 
there is support from this from other angles. So the, the Guraya was most likely looking at printed texts of Rashi. And you see the printed texts that we have today for all of the, the few that I looked at quickly, they all have this addition to the Rashi in which Yitzhak refers to Yaakov as the Bechor. In any case, the Mizrahi disagrees with the, the, the Guraya here disagrees with the Mizrahi. And he explains differently. He says there's a difference between before Matan Torah and after Matan Torah. At Matan Torah, let's talk about after Matan Torah for, the, for starters. At Matan Torah, the Torah gave to the children of Aaron the Kahuna. This is non-transferable, irreversible. The son of Aaron, the, the, the children of Aaron, the descendants of Aaron, they are the Kohanim, nobody else. You can't buy it, you can't sell it. As a certain person I knew well, used to like to say, my mother-in-law, she should rest in peace. She used to say, not for love and not for money. You can't wrestle the kahuna away from a kite. You, you can't buy it. He can't give it to you, no matter how much he likes you. That was established at Harsinai. But before Matan Torah, where we find many sources which indicate that Korbanas were brought traditionally by the Bukhar of each family. That was based on general consensus. That was not a immutable law. The, the Guraya says, This is what was logical and this is what was fair. That the Bukhar, who is Hagodol the Achoshuv, the Bukhar is the, the oldest and the most important person in the family. Oveid, that is the person who did the service to Hashem, the service of Korbanais within each family. But it was not some immutable, engraved in stone right. It could be, it could be sold before Matan Torah. And thus the Gurari explains that Yaakov really did become the Bechor by paying for it and by having Ace of uh, put a extra stamp of, of, uh, of approval to the sale by swearing to it. I think we see here a very important point, very important distinction between laws or customs of before Matan Torah and after Matan Torah. We know our Chachamim tell us that the Avais, they were kimu kola kula. They, they kept the whole Torah. That's a statement in Chazal. We also know that our Abbas in certain places did not seem to keep the whole Torah. The most famous example is that Yaakov Aminu married two sisters, which is clearly forbidden by the Torah. Only if one sister dies, you, can, you may marry the second. But Yaakov was simultaneously married to the same two, to, to two sisters, to Rachel and Leah. So there are many, many discussions of these matters and many other places where it seems that the Chachamim are not following, the, 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 where it seems that the Abbas were not precisely following the rules of the Torah. Now, there are two basic approaches. One approach will go to the Gemara, to the Rambam, to the Shulchan Aruch, and they will find certain details that apply to the Halacha in question to the mitzvah in question. 
certain situations where perhaps the mitzvah doesn't apply. And they will perhaps without, with better or lesser evidence, they will tell us that, uh, that in the situation in which uh, Yaakov Avinu was in, for example, uh, it was permitted even according to the law of the Torah to do what he did. I suppose sometimes such explanations can be solid. Uh, the way I was taught was not generally like that. My Rosh Hashiva, he should, he should be well. Uh, whenever such questions came up, and usually not from him, it was usually a, a Talmud who asked such questions. He didn't usually bother with such questions. But whenever such questions came up, he would usually say, we don't have the Shulchan Aruch for before Matan Torah. We don't know. After Matan Torah, we know the Shulchan Aruch. I mean, uh, we wish we knew it even better. But basically, we have a code of, of, of law that we can follow. And we know what all the details are. But before Matan Torah, it's true that the, that the Avais kept the Torah, but we don't know exactly how. We don't know what all the details are. And I think the Maharal is, is leaning towards that approach here. He's not saying that according to the laws of the Torah as given, as given at Har Sinai and as expounded by the Chachamim, it is possible to sell Bukhara. No, you can't sell Bukhara according to the laws of the Torah. But before Matan Torah, although Yaakov, Yitzchak, they did in general keep the laws of the Torah, but we don't have the Shulchan Aruch. It's a different Shulchan Aruch. Before Matan Torah, Bechura, the status of being a Bechur, was a different status. It was not an immutable etched in stone status. It was a more customary status, and therefore there was more flexibility. And therefore, Yaakov could in fact purchase the Bechura from Esav, and he in fact could become the Bechur. 